You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. You may have noticed that today's podcast did not get posted at its usual time this morning, which is Thursday. I typically post these every Thursday morning, if you were not aware. Well, this week we were at a funeral. A member on my wife's side of the family has passed away, and we were celebrating with her family the passing over of this beloved individual they had lived a long and wonderful life. And so it's not something that was unexpected, but nonetheless, that was the delay uh, leading up to that. There were preparations and we weren't at our home in Dallas over the week. So if you ordered a product or book on our website this week, you will notice that it hasn't shipped. Until maybe by the time you listen to this and you get the email confirmation because our shipping was delayed by one week. So thank you for your patience for everyone that ordered a product off our website this past week. And we did our best to let all of you know by email individually that there would be a short delay on the shipping. I am really excited to tell you guys that there is going to be a men's course at Bride Ministries. And I'm going to be teaching it along with another leader at Bride Ministries named Todd. There's going to be a a, a registry available soon. It's men only, ladies. I know that you are always really supportive when I do a class because you guys show up and you participate and you engage. And we love our Bride Tribe sisters, but we're looking for some bride tribe brothers and in our community especially at the fireplace church what i've noticed is that we have a lot more women but when i look at my podcast numbers we have about 50 50 men and women engaging with the podcast what that means is that the podcast attracts all the men but they don't show up to the fireplace church and certainly not the community as a matter of fact we were having a bride tribe community event in dallas a few weeks ago and i realized that I was the only man there at all. And and it's, well, it's kind of scary. I mean, you know, to be the only man with wonderful sisters in Christ, but all female. And so, you know, I, I, I'm trying to recruit some help. And uh, we are thinking, okay, one of the best ways to do this is to e- equip men on the platform, and maybe it's the title, you know, Bride Ministries, it's like, well, I'm a woman, I want to be a bride, so I will go to this ministry, you know. Uh, but guess what? Without grooms, there are no brides, so we want men. Anyway, uh, that's my spiel. Uh, that's going to be coming up soon, and you'll see that getting posted to the website when we have something together for that. I am very excited to say that the book Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth now sits at 87 reviews on Amazon. And guess what? Amazon finally ordered some more copies. So by uh, August 21st, I believe, they will have more copies of the book Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth. And of course, you can get the ebook there, but oh, my goodness. Uh, 
You can always get this book at our website, bridemovement.com. We are at 87 reviews, and this is why it's awesome, because I am believing God for 100 reviews, and we are only 13 reviews away. Uh, the, the Bride Ministries Institute is moving right along. We have six courses. In a week and a half, we're going to be recording course number seven, which is going to be an introduction to inner healing. It's a teaching I've never done. I've never had a class on it, never done a live teaching. No, it's all new stuff. So that's going to be exclusively available at Bride Ministries Institute after it's produced. For now, indulge yourself with our existing courses, which include Advanced Deliverance and the Unlocking the Mystery of Prayer course, as well as the others. I want to also say, look, Bride Ministries is happening at the Fireplace Church. This is where it goes down. This is where people hang out, they meet, they connect. This is how people find out about things like our ministry retreats where we all get together live and have a party. Like if you didn't know that Bride Ministries is actually doing really cool stuff, you need to start coming to the Fireplace Church. Now that meets every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Last point, and then we're going to get to the, uh, the, the, the podcast today. Canada. I made an announcement that I would be going to Canada a while back, and uh, things have been shifting and moving around, but I will tell you, it's official. Canada is happening, and it's getting locked in. So I am going to be going to Ottawa. I am extending my trip. At first, I wasn't going to be able to do this, but I, I am now extending my trip. So I'm going to be in both Ottawa and Toronto back-to-back. And the Ottawa trip is going to uh, be for a uh, period of time. I'm going to be going from Ottawa to Toronto with my dear friend Timothy Bentz. And and some of you have heard him on my podcast. I, I did some interviews with him a while back and uh, within the past year, I actually posted one of his sermons as my podcast for that week, uh, and, and he is an incredible man of God, and so we're going to be uh, speaking together at conferences in both Ottawa and Toronto, and that's going to be at the end of September. I'll be putting up some banners on our website and also on my Facebook page and giving official dates as all of these things develop. So with that said... Uh, end of September, those of you that are in Canada that have been looking forward to seeing me when I come to Canada, get ready. End of September, it's going down. I want to give a special shout out to Luke 418 Ministries in Austin and all of my new friends in Austin. I did not make an announcement on this podcast that I would be speaking live in Austin because I was actually asked not to. And, and lo and behold, without any marketing, there was not enough room for all of the people that wanted to attend. Let's just put it that way. But I want to just say, you know, for those of you that I got to meet, you know, you guys are awesome. You are some really special people down in Austin. And I am looking forward to working together with Luke 418 Ministries going into the future. It was just a real treat for my wife and I to spend some time with you guys. And uh, last but not least, I want to say thank you to all of our supporters, our donors. Um, for those of you that support us financially, just understand that while we are in this uh, adjustment phase, which we are now in again, 
we don't have somebody writing all of our thank you letters and thank you emails for our supporters. Uh, when we bring someone back on board to do that, you will begin getting those letters again to show and express our gratitude. Until then, please just listen to my words and know that from the bottom of our hearts, Christian and I, we want to say thank you to those of you that are supporting this ministry. And if you have been uh, intending to support this ministry and have not gotten around to it yet, just make a trip to bridemovement.com and click the donate button. Uh, we now also accept cryptocurrency as a source of donation funds at Bride Ministries. So um, more ways to bless. Folks, I'm done. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, I'm sitting here for the second part of a conversation on the subject of curses with my friend Dr. Preston Bailey. Now, he's been on my show so many times over the years that uh, <laughs> most of you should know his resume by now. He has been working with survivors for a long time. He has been a pastor, a minister. He has been on the task force for child abuse in the state of Florida, and he has many other accomplishments. He's written a book. He has uh, run a television program long ago. I, I and 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 now he is retired, spending most of his time just helping people. And so we started a conversation on the subject of curses a few weeks ago. And Dr. Bailey, I'm so glad to have you back to continue the discussion. Well, Daniel, it's great to be back. And folks, you can always find Dr. Bailey either on our website where we have a page for him on our Meet Our Coaches page, or you can go to spiritualwarfarecenter.com. And, you know, Dr. Bailey, I just going to get started right here with a little refresher. What is the way you define curse? Well, what is usually defined as curse is any expressed uh, wish that some form of adversity or misfortune will befall another person, place, or object. Usually, uh, a, a supernatural power is involved uh, so technically what a curse is whether you place a curse hex spell uh, chant incantation or whatever it is they're all different types of curses but what happens technically is the person who casts the spell, what we would call a witch, witches cast spells, the witch goes through certain rituals uh, and they follow a book that's been handed down from generation to generation, a, a book of magic, you could call it. And in it, 
there's specific things they have to do, lighting candles, uh, drawing a pentagram, offering a sacrifice to some, they call it god or goddess, we call it demons, and when they do this ritual correctly, then uh, when they place a curse, a demon actually goes and attacks that person. So if, for example, the witch cast a spell to cause this person to be sick, then they summon a demon of infirmity. The demon of infirmity goes and attacks that person. And if they don't have on the armor of God, or there's some doorway open, then they cause sickness in that person. Uh, but the armor of God and praying for things like that every day prevents that evil spirit from carrying out that curse. So that is why uh, every day I pray and renounce any curse, hex, spell, incantation, enchantment, evil prayer, Many times Christians pray an evil prayer, which they don't realize in the spirit realm is a curse uh, or any evil assignment. Uh, and that is really uh, what a curse is. And when we were preparing to start recording, we were chatting about what we we're going to talk about. You had mentioned to me, Dr. Bailey, that you said, I have to say a word about people being abused, actively being hurt, or actively receiving criminal activity against them, and thinking that the only strategy they have from God is to pray blessings over the people that are doing these evil things to them. Um, and I, I, I think that you have some strategies for praying against abusers and criminals, and so... Let's talk about it. Well, I think one of the false beliefs, uh, there is what I call religious false beliefs in most churches in the world. And it has hindered, it has hindered the advancement of Christianity. Uh, we, we are to love people. But you see, if I ask, a hundred people to define love, everyone will give a totally different explanation. Uh, people will say, well, I love my husband, uh, but he is abusive, so I'm divorcing him. Well, you see, I want everyone to understand Everybody has a different definition of love. So whenever you read the Bible and it says love one another, did you know in the New Testament, theologically, I've attended the largest seminary in the world. I've attended three seminaries and, and got a master's and two doctorates. And I taught at 
two Christian colleges and the meaning of love is different for everybody. So we say we love someone, but we get mad at them and we refuse to talk to them, you see. So the fact is, God does not expect us to be a doormat for the world. So because Christians have a false concept of love, Christians as a as a as a group tend to be taken advantage of more than the general population uh, uh, Christians tend to be abused more than the general population because they have a false belief about love now I like to tell this story a man murdered a woman's son and she prayed that he would be caught and the police caught the man who murdered her son and he was sentenced to life in prison so she went to prison to visit the man that murdered her son she says I want you to know I forgive you, but you deserve to spend the rest of your life in this jail. So what Christians need to understand is we need to set healthy boundaries in our life. And even in a marriage relationship, you need boundaries. You don't want your husband or wife to go out and commit adultery. So if they do, you get mad. You say you love them, but even within love, you need healthy boundaries. Now, what Christians seem to have trouble with is there's an old saying, the best defense is what? A strong offense. You ask a child that. Children know that. The best defense is a strong offense. And many Christians think that uh, they're just to ignore abuse or sweep it under the rug. And that is not biblical at all. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness in Greek means to send away. It means to send it off of you. Actually, the word forgiveness is a psychological term. In hermeneutics, the science of interpreting the Bible, there's many different uh, figures of speech used in the Bible. But the word forgiveness is actually a psychological term. It means to send away. Where do you see? To send it off your shoulders, to get that weight off of you. It has nothing to do with confronting that person and reconciliation. People in the Matthew, they overdo that. You see, that referred to a very specific situation and all of those people went to the same church. 
that that doesn't that really happens today. You go to an unsaved person and say, I want you to come to the elders in my church because we're going to rebuke you. He do you think he's gonna to go to that church? No. So we live in a sinful society. So there's one doctrine. Everybody hears sermons on love, love and forgive, love and forgive, love and forgive. And so therefore, we don't put up our walls to look out for sinful, evil people in this world. So people have forgotten what's called hamartology, the, the doctrine of the study of sin. We people are sinful by nature and by choice. Now, how many people sin? Everybody. If you're married, and I asked, how often does your mate sin? You can name ten sins that your husband and wife commit just right off the bat. And when I ask that, you don't think of love. You think of being hurt and pain. That's why we need healthy boundaries in our life. So when evil people come to us and want to hurt us, the response is not, Jesus loves you and I love you too, because you will be hurt, you will be killed. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so it is perfectly biblical to pray against the wicked people. Now, let me say very clearly, praying against wicked people is not witchcraft, and it is not placing a curse against someone. It is simply recognizing, acknowledging, and claiming as true what God has already said will happen to these wicked people in the Bible as a result of their sinful behavior. Now, there's basically three types of curses. The first type of curse is one that's placed on a person or group as a natural consequence of their behavior. Science calls this the law of cause and effect. An example of this is found in Ephesians 6, 1 through 5, where it says, if a child does not honor or respect their parents. Now, let me just say, this refers to normal, loving, and caring parents and not abusive ones. Just this week, a woman said her her mother is seriously ill, and her mother horribly abused her growing up from the time she was born right up until she left home at 18. She verbally, emotionally, and physically abused her, and her father sexually abused her all the time. Hmm. And so what's the little girl supposed to do? If you listen to normal church preaching today, oh, just love and forgive them. No, that's not what you do. God would not do that. God would not just stand there and say, oh, okay, love and forgive them, and let them keep on sexually abusing your child. No, that mother committed a crime. Failure to report a case of child abuse is a crime. 
and it's called failure to protect. You know, and this is um, this is something that I spend a lot of time telling people, Doctor Bailey. It's just this idea that forgiveness and the pursuit of justice are two separate conversations. Yes, and forgiveness, like you said, is actually it, it, it's just fulfilling the requirements that we have in Christ Jesus. Like it was like, well, you have to forgive, but he never said you're responsible after you forgive to not pursue justice, to not report, to not draw boundaries. Like that's nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, you forgive so that you can pursue justice. Because yes. when you pursue justice after you've forgiven, you can engage the resources armies of heaven to help bring down the criminals and be in right alignment. When you haven't forgiven, then you're fighting against the current. You're actually fighting two battles. You're fighting the kingdom of darkness and you're fighting with the ways of God. But my goodness, you know, if Christians learn how to forgive and then pursue justice and pursue you know, I mean, bringing this world to a place of righteousness really means to bring this world to a place of right standing with God. That's exactly That right. means that systems must be subdued into a place of justice. And that means family systems, education systems, legal systems, religious systems. Like, there, as a matter of fact, the, the word tzedek in Hebrew is translated both justice and righteousness depending on where in the Bible you happen to be because the word actually means the same thing. In Hebrew, there's no justice without righteousness and no righteousness without justice. And this idea that we forgive and then we run away or uh, divorce a situation from justice is, I, I believe it's just a satanic lie um, wrapped in a cloak of religion. Anyway, that's right. go ahead. So, now the second type of a curse is a curse that God brings upon a person or group because of their sinful or wicked actions. Hmm. This is very common in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. It means if you do something, then this is going to happen to you, just like a blessing. Uh, and and God wants to bless us. Now, let me just say this. People with DID, they often have what I call negative introspection. Hmm. Uh, almost every day when I talk to people with DID, they say, uh, God hates me. Uh, God is going to punish me uh, because I did something wrong. Uh, I am worthless. And so I say, uh, who told you that? And they have trouble remembering that. I said, your theology is wrong. I said, that's negative introspection. That means you look within and blame yourself. Because what happens when a child is abused, the abuser, the perpetrator, he wants the child to not tell anyone. So they they 
say, keep your secret of what we do in your pocket. Because if you tell somebody, I'm going to hurt you, or depending on their age, they say, I'm going to hurt your little dog, or I'm going to kill your cat, or I'm going to take your favorite toy away and tear it up, or I'm going to kill your mother. That's what abusers say. I used to be chairman of the Governance Task Force on Child Abuse. And I saw that many times, and people we arrested, that's what they would say. And here's why they did it, because they knew if they got caught for sexually abusing the child, the law takes it as a very serious crime. And when they're put in prison, the worst criminals in prison, the thing they hate the most are people who abuse children. You know why? Because many of these men in prison, they have children that they are not going to be able to see and hold and do things with for the rest of their life because they have life in prison. So they can't imagine anybody hurting their child. So their anger goes from a 1 to a 10 and they attack and beat up that child molester in prison on a regular basis. So when people abuse a child, they know that that's what's going to happen to them in prison. So every time they abuse that child, they reinforce over and over again, uh, don't tell anybody, and then they put a threat. So what happens is, if you hear that every day for years, and the perpetrator is going to blame you. Like for example, I've heard this many times and it infuriates me. The, the abuser rapes the child, and then he says, it was your fault that you made me do this. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would like to grab him around the neck and strangle him. Mm-hmm. That's a total lie. So when you feel guilt, put the guilt on the right person, the person that abused you. If you feel shame, you have no reason to feel shame. Put the shame on the abuser. Shame on the abuser. Uh, So let me just say this. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, God will love you forever and ever and ever, even if you make a mistake. Because how many people sin? All of them. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, our sins are different. Now, people say, well, Dr. Bailey, do do you sin? Well, if you ask my wife, (laughs) you know, Every wife thinks the husband is a wicked sinner, but <laughs> we won't go into that. <laughs> the fact is, everybody makes mistakes. Now, let me ask you about this. Why did Jesus die on the cross? If you ask a child, don't don't get complex. If you ask a child, why did Jesus die on the cross? 
And you know what the child would say every time they say, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sin. Now, what is the definition of all? The definition of all there is past sin, present sin, and future sin. Now, see, when Jesus died on the cross, that was how many years ago? 2,000 years ago. Any sin you commit today was future 2,000 years ago. So Jesus forgives you of your future sin. So if you have the wrong theology, you'll have the wrong psychology. So when you think God's going to punish you, you just remember the doctrine of justification. Now that's a fancy word I know. It started, but it's so important, it started the Protestant Reformation. Justification very simply means just as if I never sinned. Isn't that great? Hmm. God looks at us as just as if we never sinned. He looks at us wearing a white robe with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts and that we've never done anything wrong. He looks at us as never yelling at someone. Boy, that's, isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> he looks at us as not losing our temper and, and not offending other people. So just remember, when you start to blame yourself and you have negative introspection, remember, the blood of Jesus Christ is and cleanses us from what? All sin, even future. Now, the third type of curse is one that an individual or a group places onto another using witchcraft or occult means. This type of curse is, in essence, sending a demon to torment another person. This type of curse is forbidden in the Bible and is and should be renounced by the sender and the recipient of the curse. Now, the, the Bible has two metaphors of a Christian in the New Testament. Two metaphors. One of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is the metaphor, a Christian is to be like a disciplined athlete. So we should discipline ourselves. We should follow the Christian disciplines of reading our Bible daily, of praying, etc. But the second uh, symbol or metaphor of Christianity in the New Testament is that of a Christian soldier. You see, today the worldly doctrines, the worldly philosophies, the worldly teachings that we see on TV here at school, on the news, in the world, at work, uh, political correctness affects our belief system. And we just want to be politically correct. Let me just say this. Jesus was a revolutionary in his day. Jesus went to the religious leaders of his day, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and he called them names. <laughs> he called them bad names. He says, 
you're nothing but whitewashed sepulcher. You know what that means? You're really a dead person dressed up real nice. They had expensive clothes because they had a lot of money. And he called them names. He called them vipers, snakes, and, and other things. So he rebuked the religious leaders. So Jesus resisted evil. When a man was demon-possessed and was coming near him and the disciples, he didn't just say there and fold his hands and say, God loves you. We're just going to love you. And he didn't turn to his disciples and say, now, okay, you 12, let's just love this man and let's pray for him. Well, no, he didn't do that. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, what does resist mean? Does resist mean go around and talk about love and just let the world run over us? No. Resist, oppose the devil, and he'll flee. When evil happens to us, and Satan will send his emissaries to us to give us a hard time, to lie about us, to slander us, to even harm us. Uh, Ten years ago, the Illuminati sent an assassin, a programmed assassin, in my office ten feet away to shoot me in the head. That's what they told me. And of course, I believe in the power of God. Nothing with God is impossible. Mm -hmm. So, evil people will do whatever you let them get away with. So we need healthy boundaries in our life. We need to watch over our children. We need to be careful where we go. We we need to prepare to defend ourselves when evil attacks us. And so that is why the whole New Testament talks about a Christian being a Christian warrior. Hmm. Now, the problem is the Church of the Last Days, the Church of Laodicea, is lazy. It's the lazy church. They're not a Christian warrior. They're just happy, praise the Lord. Hmm. We love everybody. No, they're not a Christian warrior. They're not, they're not praying against the enemy every day. They don't use spiritual warfare. As Daniel said, I wrote the book, Spiritual Warfare, Defeating the Forces of Darkness. I've led many Satanists and witches to Christ. And I didn't do it by just being passive. I actively went out of, uh, after them. One Sunday, the, the head Satanist for the city, he had 300 witches underneath him. Was that very many? Hmm. He well, you, was real tall. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> shared this with us just last time we had you on, Dr. Bailey. Yes, but I resisted them. Amen. And he got saved. In fact, I led uh, his mother to Christ. <laughs> he shared his testimony with his own mother, and uh, well, we led his mother to Christ. We're to resist the devil. I uh, I have to agree here because the, 
the thing is, I think the church really lost a lot of power when certain paradigms began to enter in that carried with them, uh, I would say, Far Eastern ideologies like fate yes. and like uh, that destinies were preconceived, that there really isn't anything that can happen except what is exactly supposed to happen. Yeah, and right. so people translated that and began to say, well, when I say God is in control, it means that he just controls everything in the world and there's nothing that we could do to to shake or move anything else like that. And and this, the problem is when you look at Jesus and you look at what he's doing, he is actively confronting evil intentionally. Yes, he, exactly. He does not just allow or sit back and just say, well, whatever's supposed to happen. When, when the guy <laughs> that's demon-possessed comes to him and says, well, you know, disciples watched because exactly what's supposed to happen will just happen. Let's sit down and wait. And, you know, people have mistranslated this idea that, you know, the Bible says, wait upon those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount it with wings as eagles. And people say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and let, you know, God solve it. And it's like, well, are you praying? No. Are you fasting? No. You're reading the word? No. What are you doing with your life? I'm waiting. But the word wait in the Hebrew there actually means to uh, position yourself with expectation. It's actually like an expectant abiding, um, meaning doing everything you can to prepare and uh, arrange things. It, it, so, so people take the intentionality out of the engagement and I think there's a lot of confusion that has entered in and so when evil is going rampant people just sit back and say well I'll just wait around for God to fix it and God's saying wait a minute <laughs> what did Jesus do so we put this WWGD thing on our wrist <laughs> like they used to do yeah, and it's like oh um, I think that this means I should just sit here powerlessly and it's like when did Jesus ever sit powerlessly Ever. One time. When Jesus was in the temple, specifically in the court of the Gentiles, mm. and the money changers were in there with all of their birds and cages and all the other animals, which were to be offerings for the temple, uh, Jesus got mad. Uh, he got a leather whip. And he turned over the tables, and I'm sure he is hollering at them. He scared the money changers half to death, flipped over their table, opened the cages, all of these birds flying around, the goats running around. It was a hilarious scene. Uh, from the first century to the present, when, when artists draw this event, they show Jesus actively... Uh, going against the enemy, the money changers. Now, Jesus was a Christian soldier. He was an example that we are to go after evil. And that is what the police do. The police, they, they try to love the neighborhood where they patrol, but they actively seek criminals to arrest them. And there's, there's evil in this world. Evil, Edmund Burke says, evil conquers when good men do.
do nothing. And many Christians are AWOL, absent without leave, when it comes to being in the Christian army. Now, there's a thousand and four names for God in the Bible. One of them is uh, tr translated the Lord of Hosts, H-O-S-T-S. What that means is God was the commander-in-chief of the heavenly army. He was not passive. Passivity is never activity. Just sitting around hoping and praying that something has happened is passivity. Passivity is not activity. A Christian soldier goes after the enemy. In fact, Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, many people misinterpret that. What that really means in Greek is a picture of the church, Christians, attacking the gates of hell. We are to pray and use spiritual warfare to attack Satan and his fallen angels every day. And for some reason, Christians are scared. One time I was at a national evangelism conference and we had lunch. So I went and to a chicken joint. I've had chicken hot, I've had chicken cold, I've had chicken young, I've had chicken old, I've had chicken in the rough, I've had chicken tough. But thank God, as a preacher, I've never had chicken enough. So I'm waiting in this long line. Most of them are, are, are preachers. I mean preachers. And somehow the person behind me and I were talking about Satan. Well, the pastor in front of me, he turned around and he says, I do not believe in a personal devil. He said, I don't believe in Satan that he exists. It's just a metaphor. I said, you must not watch the evening news or read the newspaper from all of the evil that the devil causes. In fact, you take the word devil, remove the D, and you've got evil. <laughs> so wherever, wherever you see evil, you see the devil and his emissaries at work. But we are to be a Christian soldier. And we have great resources from heaven that are at our disposal and uh, the, the Bible says that uh, we are in Matthew 16 and Matthew 8 in the same verse bind the evil by the blood of Jesus Christ and release the resources of heaven to assist us in overcoming evil and every day every morning and every night and many times during the day I, I pray and I bind uh, the evil and I release by faith uh, God's heavenly army to come and assist me in defeating my enemies and that's what he did in the Old Testament and it's just like you said that's what Jesus did in the New Testament. We are to resist the devil. And and this preacher in front of me, he said, he said, I don't even talk about Satan because 
if you talk about it, then he'll come and bother you. Now, of course, he just said it was a metaphor. Sounds and like... Course, uh, <laughs> so I said, don't talk about red ants because you'll attract red ants and they'll bite your feet. I really struggle with cognitive dissonance in believers at times, Doctor Bailey. I don't know if you, but this is the, the how you can have one thing coming out your mouth and then completely contradict it with another piece of data that you know yeah. is simultaneously true. Yet because of these walls and barriers and uh, certain books they have read in seminary, uh, th there is just a a, a thing. Um, but praise God that you know well. Some of us are getting it, and more of us will. And I want to talk about assignments and curses, because you talk about, okay, we're supposed to be Christian soldiers, right? So soldiers have an enemy, and the soldiers are the enemies actively of their enemy. So so, so you, yeah. you have you know a, a red army and a blue army. If you have the red shirt on, you are the enemy of the blue army. Whether you That's want right. to be or not, even if you decide to go down the street and eat a hot dog, like you're still wearing a target on your torso. And if yes, a blue sir. person sees you, they will identify you as their enemy. They might try to shoot at you. And, and you have a lot of Christians. They want to think they're wearing neutral colors, but they're not because they're covered by the blood of Jesus. And so that's all there is to it. They're red, right? There's a blue army. They're red. That is going to be identified on them, whether they want it to be or not. And they might get shot at. Now, let's talk about assignments and curses because it, people don't realize how many areas of their lives the enemy will take assignments against. So what have you seen? Yes. Um, uh, to understand assignments against Christians, they need to understand Satan's hierarchical organization. What that means very simply is there, the Bible says there's nine orders of heavenly beings. Each of them are different. For example, the seraphim, they praise God in his holiness. And the description of seraphim, if we could see them, we would be scared half to death. The word seraph means the burning one. Uh, but each of the nine orders of heavenly beings, I, I wrote about it in my book, they, they have a different purpose. Now, the... The army of God is called the thrones, the order of thrones, thronos in Greek, thrones. They appear as horses and chariots. Now, when, what was it, Enoch and Elijah ascended into heaven in a chariot, that was actually a throne. Thrones appear as horses and chariots. Their job is to bring God's justice to earth. So to put it simple, the order of thrones uh, is the army of God. And when we pray, the job, for example, of an angel is not to just go around and act as a soldier. That's not their job. An angel is one of the nine orders of heavenly beings 
uh, an angel uh, brings the answer to prayer from God the Father down to earth to us. So it's not the Holy Spirit who tells us the answer to prayer. It's actually an angel speaking to you in your spirit. In fact, the word angel, angelos, means messenger. And the second job is to minister to the saints, minister to Christians, whatever their needs are. But when we pray, if if we're being attacked by the enemy, we need to pray that God would send the order of thrones, or what I do very simply is say God's heavenly army, because Satan has an evil army. Pray that God's heavenly army, which outnumbers Satan's army two to one, hallelujah. And so in this hierarchy, and they, they do have uh, an order, what happens is every day Satan gives evil assignments and those assignments trickle down to the individual evil entities, I call them, to carry it out. And most of the time they attack Christians. And so Satan gives evil assignments uh, to his evil followers his evil hierarchy. Now, there may be an evil assignment against you. Now, they, I remember uh, at the time, one of the largest churches in America, uh, they argued about where the piano was on the platform. Half the church thought the piano should be on the right side and half should be on the left side which is absurd and they had a church split so half the church left because the vote didn't go their way of which side on the platform was the church piano so then they get a new pastor and the pastor uh, goes there and he knew about the church split. So he goes to the head man who actually started the piano problem. And he said to him, he said, if you don't mind me asking, what side of the platform did you want the piano, on the right or the left? And the man who started all of this, which ended up in the church split, he says, I forgot. I don't remember. Now see, that's exactly what happens. So in an evil assignment, as Satanists pray, they place curses on pastors, their family, and the church. Now let me ask you this. How many, now Satanists do this all over the world three times a day. Do you think three times a day that Christians all, all over the world pray that they would be that their pastor would be protected that the pastor's family would stay united and be protected and that the church would be united and resist any division do you think Christians pray that all over the world three times a day 
Well, and that's a, that's the the, the I think the proof is in the pudding on something like this, Doctor Bailey, because all we have to do is look at statistics, and <laughs> right. we could pretty much conclude the right answer. I, uh, and and this is where it comes to being proactive and this whole idea of this passivity spirit that's just absolutely overrun the body of Christ. Our prayers are supposed to be many times more powerful than any prayers yes. they could pray because we're praying to a higher power. And uh, so if we're not winning, it's because something's vitally going wrong in the way we're doing things. Uh, anyway, um, so let me ask you this. Uh, what are some of the other areas that they put these uh, curses to oppose people's lives? I, I mean, do you think that a person can have a curse on their travel experiences? Yes, they, uh, uh, looking back, I've been doing this for 43 years. Um, l looking back, there are curses placed on cars. Uh, for example, David Wilkerson, we all know as a famous preacher, he died because uh, a car hit him head on. Um, I pray every day this. As soon as I get in my car, before I back up out of my driveway, I pray that there would be a hedge of protection around my car, around my tires, and around my engine. And I pray that other drivers would pay attention and not bash into me. Now, I do that every time I get in my car. So I believe very strongly that, uh, that Satan sends evil assignments against people. Now, each demon is actually very specialized. Now, let me give you an example of a proof about cars. One church I lived at, it was the major intersection for three major highways. And just a block down the road was the interstate. But one road was at a, a steep hill. And one day after church, we we owned almost the whole block so we had a lot of parking and I parked where I parked was way back there so it took me a while to get to my car and suddenly the Holy Spirit said turn around that man has demons hmm. and uh, around he had gone out the front of the church and walked around the sidewalk and he was going to his car. The second God told me that, this man turned around and started to go back. And so that means demons made him do that. Somehow, demons knew that God spoke to me. <laughs> now, people can figure that out for themselves, but that's what happened. It was instantaneous. So here's what I prayed. I prayed, God, I pray that that man would stop and not be able to get past that point. I don't know why, but that's what I prayed at the time. 
So then my youngest deacon, who was in his early 20s, I said, hey, come with me. So we went. Uh, it, it took a few minutes to walk over there. And he's walking in a circle on the sidewalk. It was really weird looking, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and he's walking in a circle. And I said, <clears throat> I said, what are you doing? He said this. He said, I can't get past this point. That's word for word what he said. And that's what I prayed. So then I said, uh, stop. And I said, what is your name? And he told me. So I said to the young deacon, I said, hold out your right hand. And so in a stressful situation, people just do whatever I say because they're scared. <laughs> really, it's strange. So I said, repeat after me. I claim by faith to have the sword of the spirit. So he did. I said, now I want you to stab this guy. And he looked at me, double take, and thought, you know, this guy's crazy. I said, don't touch him. Just go like this. Uh, go like this. And and he stabbed him in the stomach and suddenly the man started screaming the demons in him started screaming you're stabbing us you're hurting us you're stabbing us and he kept screaming and it was so loud everybody in the parking lot that were going to the cars heard it and he fell to the ground on the sidewalk and he was on his knees and he's screaming you're stabbing me you're hurting me now, that was the demon so I said, uh, I bind the demons in him and command them to be quiet. And I said, I pray that you would pick him up off the sidewalk. Suddenly his, let me see if I can show you. Suddenly his shoulders went up like this as if somebody put their hands underneath this arm and someone underneath that arm it had to have been two angels and they picked him up and of course it was a distance of about two feet that they picked him up so you could put your hand underneath there and they picked him up and if anybody saw it in the parking lot they'd see this guy floating two feet high off the sidewalk <laughs> and, and, so, and so this young deacon is is standing there in shock and he's never seen anything and this is a major intersection so cars are going by and and I said put your feet down and stand up and so he did his shoulders went down and he stood on the sidewalk and I said by the blood of Jesus Christ I command you to tell me what is your name and the demon said this he said my name is wanderer of the streets and I said, by the blood of Jesus Christ, what is your job? What is your assignment? What is your job? What's your responsibility? And here's what he said. My job is to stay at this intersection and cause confusion, get the drivers upset, get them in a wreck, and even get them killed. That's what he said. Uh, almost word for word and I had seen at this intersection I saw a an old beat up station wagon 
that rust was only holding it together. It was rust. So you could see they were poor. And he had a green light to turn left, and a blue truck ran the red light and hit the side of that car on the passenger side going 35, 40 miles an hour and immediately killed the woman. He got out of his truck and took off running and other people saw it and three men went after him and tackled him until the police got there. Now, I even saw uh, 30 feet from where I was standing at the time. One time I saw, it was a brand new SUV. It's going uphill like this and somehow it flipped upside down and it was on its top. Now, I don't know how that can be possible. No other car touched it. Now, that is the wander of the street, his job. Now, later on, I cast that demon out and I bound him uh, and I sent him to the feet of Jesus to be judged for the evil that he had done because I wanted him away from my church. But there were evil assignments. There were a lot of witches around there. So there was, I mean, I had witches come to my church. You know, the visitor's card they fill out, they would mm. tell me the name of the church they're from, uh, the, the Church of Satan or uh, the Church of Something Demons. I mean, they would, they'd sit on the second row. <laughs> <laughs> they they were arrogant and they prayed I mean I had evil assignments against me all the time and they, they tried uh, even the leaders of the deacon said we don't like it that you preach about demons you know it's, it's just amazing um, and, and as you're telling this story you know something just occurred to me and I'm sure that you offended somebody listening to what you said just now not even about demons you know why they're offended dr bailey because they're trying to ask how can you explain that god would have an angel pick a person two feet off the ground because what's the point of having a person picked up two feet off the ground by an angel is this what you call a religious spirit and I, I, I want. I'm probably, and I, I know I'm calling someone out right now, um, but I want you to just just give me a, a, a minute. What would be the point of an angel picking a person up off of the ground? Because I needed him to stand up so I could talk to him. <laughs> In it. fact, so practical. I, I mean, that's that, see, here's the problem that bothers me. 99% of Christians say that's weird, and I don't know if I should believe that. But of course, there was the witness of the man that happened to, there was the witness of the deacon standing right next to me, and there was the witnesses of everyone in the parking lot, which was a lot of them going to their car because this guy, the demon in him, was screaming so loud. I'm sure everyone looked. Mm-hmm. And and that's not counting all the cars going by that see this man suspended two feet off the ground. So, I mean, 
we really have uh, jellyfish uh, spying Christianity today. Uh, the Bible, Jesus said over and over again, nothing is impossible with God. In fact, in Ohio, <clears throat> they have the state motto engraved in stone in the front of the Capitol. And it says, nothing is impossible with God. Can you imagine the statesman in mm. that state that had the courage to push that and get that as the state motto? Nothing is impossible with God. Now, on Sunday, we can say, oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. Oh, yeah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, nothing is impossible with God. And when I tell the story, then they don't believe it. I, I preached in one church and and told some miraculous thing that God did. And after the church, it, it was a big church, and I was afterwards I was in the lobby, and, and I heard this old lady talking to another one and said, do you think what that preacher said is true about, you know, that miracle? And they would say, well, I don't know. You see, Look, I, I know that. So my whole life, since I was a teenager, I had to learn to be a Christian soldier, to stand alone. Because in my high school, <clears throat> there was a lot of drug dealers and drugs going on, and it was a pretty evil, immoral high school. And... So they knew I was a Christian because I talked about Jesus all the time. I mean, I was such a Christian soldier, I actually quoted scripture at school. But they called me as a negative, a slur. They called me superstar. Hey, superstar. You know, Jesus Christ, superstar of the, the rock opera. Oh, my. And it was going on at that time. So that's why they called me superstar. So I was from the first grade to the 12th grade, I was always picked out and made fun of because I was a Christian. I remember in the first grade, even the teacher, they had some group activity and they said, the teacher said, but Preston can't do it. Uh, we don't want you to do it. It was because I was a Christian, you see. Hmm. So I've been made fun of teased from the first grade. So, look, I, I have become fearless because, you know, it's many times it was just Jesus and me. And when I was in college, I worked in a warehouse, and everybody in the warehouse tried to give me a hard time because I was a Christian. And so during lunch, here's what would happen. They would all line up on one side and I would sit opposite them. No one would ever sit by me. And they would ask me questions about the Bible to think that they're going to uh, trap me. And uh, they would always say something you know, derogatory about the Bible. And one man said something one day, something really foolish. And he says, what does the Bible say about that? I said, 
In Proverbs, it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, a fool returns to his folly. And, you know, that's saying he was foolish. He tried to make fun of me and, and talk bad about Jesus just to irritate me in the Bible. So there are evil people in this world. <clears throat> one man, one, one time, he, he actually attacked me. He had a metal shelf and threw it at me. And I had been on the track team, so I was fast. I dodged it. And when I was a kid, I was a paper boy. And it was a, a military area. So a Marine taught me self-defense. And uh, so I immediately uh, grabbed him so that he couldn't move. And I said, I said, uh, I'm going to overlook this this time. But if you attack me again, don't expect me to be so nice. So we have to resist evil. Uh, let me ask you about uh, destiny. I am convinced that we all have a destiny in Christ. Yes. But the enemy will attack us strategically in order to convince us not to pursue the things that will move us in that direction and will try to steal it from us entirely, if at all possible, possibly with targeted curses. Um, yes, that's right. Talk to me about that. Uh, my father was a pastor, and he was very abusive to me my six sisters. So as a child, I said, I never want to be a preacher. And I said that to myself all the time. I never want to be a preacher. So I went to college to be a lawyer uh, because I was sick of criminals getting away with harming innocent people and especially Christians. So I went to college to be a lawyer. But uh, then one day at church on, on Sunday morning, at the end of the service, during the invitation, I pray, God, I pray that whatever decision you want people to make, I pray that you would uh, move them and tell them what to do. And suddenly, a force took over my body. It's hard to explain. But I walked down the, uh, out of the long pew and I walked in front of the church and I said to the pastor, I said, God just called me to be a minister. And I said to myself, did I say that? And I would not be a minister if, if it was my choice because I went to college to be a lawyer. But at that moment, God called me to be a minister. And after church, my mother said, she had prayed since I was in her womb 
then I would be a minister. So I believe, like you said, it was my uh, destiny. It was God's plan uh, that I would do that. And it turned out I was able to change laws more in my position as a pastor than if I was a lawyer. It was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, so we, f fear is probably one of the biggest problems of Christians. They fear rejection. And I say this as a, I don't care if people reject me. The Bible doesn't say if you follow political correctness, it will set you free. It says only the truth will set you free. I, I, I want to piggyback on something that you had said earlier because this is just so powerful. It's really, really powerful revelation. Um, when, when you were talking about the idea that you were saying, I never want to be a preacher, what happened was there was a strategic assault on that call and what happened was you were convinced to speak the antithesis of God's call over your life and That's he put right. the confession in your mouth and we're talking about curses on destiny when I was young I got it in my heart that there was two things I would never do and I said it. I actually spoke these things as a child. I said, I will never write and I will never teach because in my mind, I liked to do math. I liked to do science. I liked yeah. to do other uh, activities. I, I hated sitting down and writing something, even though I was not a bad writer. But then whenever I would try to explain things to people, I felt like I was smarter than most of them. So I would go to explain something and they wouldn't understand. So I'd be frustrated. And I said, ah, I'm done. There are two things I will never do. As a little kid, I'll never write and I will never teach. Well, now that's all I do. I teach people things and I write stuff down. Like that's my whole job. And what I found in my life was that I had a, 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 a an, an attempt on an interception, right? The enemy wanted to put a confession in my mouth so that the curse on my destiny would be decreed by me. And it's so, so strategic. And, and when I hear you say that, and I'm like, how many people have been trained by strategic interventions that they don't recognize to curse their own destiny, their own calling in Christ Jesus with their own mouths? Their own mouth, that's right. It, it, it's something to think about. <laughs> Now, the word confession is interesting. The Greek word is homo legeo. Homo means the same. And legeo is where we get the word logic, or to speak in a logical discourse. So homo legeo, confession, uh, means to say the same thing. So it really means to say the same thing what God says about that thing. And I don't like the word uh, confession. It's difficult to translate that word. 
so the closest they could come up with was confession. But it really means to say the same thing about that event that God says. And that means if we sin, we need to agree with God that that is sin instead of rationalizing like we do, instead of denial or instead of what you call cognitive dissonance. Uh, you, you rarely hear people admit what they did was wrong and say, I agree with God uh, that I sinned. And how many preachers today do you hear them talk about repentance? The word repent means, in fact, in Romans it says, except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. When, when have you had a ser- heard a sermon on that? Preachers today don't do that. Repent means a change of attitude and a change of direction. And that's what it takes to repent. When I, I hate it when people say, I'm sorry. Or I promise I won't do that again. Well, you see, just saying something means nothing. You have to have a change of attitude and you have to have a change of behavior. And that takes work. And so it's easier to tell a lie than to tell the truth. And I hate to say this, but the vast majority of people today do not want to hear the truth. That's why they go to these feel-good churches. They don't want to talk about spiritual warfare. They don't want to talk about uh, Christian soldiers. They don't sing today in churches onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. You know, these new churches, they, they don't ever sing that. So we, we need to agree with God about something. So people have all of these fears and you need to just nail those fears to the cross, Galatians 5.24, and just simply agree with God about this. So you find a verse in the Bible that relates to your problem, and you just say, God, I agree with you about this, and I thank you in advance that you're going to solve this problem. I don't know how you're going to do it, but the word hope means an expectation that this is going to come to pass. It's not the way we define it today, meaning a wish. So we need to trust in the omnipotent power of God. And we have to resist the devil. Now, any parent knows a child is not going to change their behavior unless that child faces the natural consequences for that behavior. If if a child goes over to a lamp and smashes it on the floor and says to their mother, I hate you, mama, if you ignore it, that child is going to continue to act that way. If you go to the child and hug them and say, oh, I love you, Johnny, I love you, Johnny, look, that's not going to change anything. That kid's going to continue to break lamps. Galatians 6, 7, you reap what you sow. That's the law of natural consequences. People need to face the natural consequences so they will change their behavior. 
It's called the pain pleasure principle. And the Illuminati uses that principle in programming. They're programmed to do everything exactly the way they're told. If not, they're punished. It's, it's, it's typical operant conditioning. And today we don't want to face the consequences for our behavior. So when we as believers are stepping into our role of uh, Christ-likeness, meaning change agents, meaning uh, disciplined athletes and soldiers, meaning that we are not going to have a jellyfish spine, but that we are going to be instruments of establishing righteousness and justice in the earth. Uh, we're going to have to pray that there are consequences for the natural course of events exactly to the evil people exactly. and 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 be part of that process in both the spirit and the natural <clears throat> you're exactly correct now when uh, when when people <clears throat> intentionally uh, attack me or try to harm me I pray the law of the thief. It's called the law of the thief. In Proverbs 6, 30-31, it says, Men do not despise a thief. If he steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry, but if he is found out, if he's caught, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So that means if people attack us and harm us we're not to just say I forgive you and go on it says Jesus God wrote the Bible it says in Proverbs it says he needs to face the natural consequences he is to pay seven back sevenfold so in other words if he stole a hundred dollars he has to pay back seven hundred now how many Christians do you know when they're attacked pray the law of the thief that the evil that this person has done to them will return back to them sevenfold. Now, that's a law of the Bible. <clears throat> Galatians mm -hmm. 6, 7, and 8. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from the nature will reap destruction. We are just claiming the promises of God. And people are never going to learn unless they face the natural consequences for their behavior. And if a Christian does not let this person face the natural consequences of their behavior and they intercede, then they're going against God's will and they have a wrong concept of forgiveness. Can you imagine someone <clears throat> murders your daughter? And now this is the theology that's taught in our churches today. We're just to love everybody, but they don't talk about the law of natural consequences. If, if someone murders your daughter, you can, you can say, I love that man as 
you know, as a person, and I'll forgive him, but he needs to be caught, and he needs to be punished for his crime. He either needs to spend life in prison or the death penalty. And it would be absurd. Any any parent would think that you're insane if you say to the judge, oh, this man murdered my daughter, but let him go free. Now, here's why. Because if you murdered your daughter and you let him out, what's he going to do? He's going to murder someone else's, someone else's daughter. And I've seen through the years, <clears throat> here in Florida, I was chairman of the Juvenile Anti-Crime Task Force. I have seen people uh, not punished for a crime, and they go out and do the same thing again, and again, and again, and again, because they did not face punishment, the natural consequences for the so they interrupt God's natural order. And I have um, actually had um, people tell me, uh, wives of husbands doing dirty business. And they felt it was their God-given responsibility to continue to intercede for their husband to not get caught and to not face the consequences oh. for the things that they were doing that were evil and then they would also keep praying to God to uh, change the circumstances uh, because they were suffering for different reasons and God would come and say things like get out of my way stop praying uh, a wall and a barrier over your husband because you're intervening upon my intervention um and 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 the thing is people do that people actually get in god's way at times you know they they want god to change things they want things to get better they want things to improve um but then god begins to work something out and then they jump in the way and say, wait, 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 nope, stop, stop, stop. Um, a, a, a radical example was in 2008 when, 2007, 2008, God was beginning to bring massive judgment, strategic judgment against the um, fraudulent banking system that we have in the United States. Right. And... Um, I mean, there were a lot of Christians praying in the bailout. And yeah. who benefited from the bailout? None of the people that were praying for it. Uh, right. And I'm not going to give specific examples and things, but this, this, what, what happened was the evil people uh, that were over these banks, I mean, they were throwing parties on yachts. And it was in the news, yes. spending millions of dollars of bailout cash to maintain a system that was absolutely raping people of their hard-earned money through all kinds of ridiculous financial procedures and stuff. And um, there would have been some discomfort, but th there's certain arguments that had that been permitted to go through uh, by this point, you know, th things would have sorted out and there would have been some restructuring. And 
maybe in a healthier way. So, so I'm not saying, I, I, because I don't know what would have happened if the bailout wasn't there. But what I'm saying is sometimes got to begin a move to bring justice and to bring righteousness, right alignment. Right. And believers will jump in front of the train and beg for it to stop. Anyway. If we don't allow people to face the natural consequences for their behavior, they're interfering in the will of God. Now, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses, confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. So we, when we, we all do wrong, unfortunately most people lie about it or rationalize about it we need to confess it and forsake it we need to stop it now listen to this you brought up about the banking system now this is what Americans allowed <clears throat> after the bailout in the and anybody can look this up because people don't believe this in the Frank Dodd amendment the Frank Dodd Act. Here's what it says. If, if a bank fails, which most banks are in serious financial trouble, if banks fail, the first people to get any money left from the bank are those that own derivatives of the bank. Now, here's what derivatives are. Derivatives are like options on the stock of that bank. So they are first in line to get any money left that the bank has. The second one in line are those that own stock in the bank. The third person in line are the depositors whose money it actually is. They deposit it. Now, I'll tell you this. If you put money in a bank and the bank fails, you will never see that money again. You'll never do it. Look it up, the Frank Dodd Act. The people who put money in the bank, the depositors, are third in line if the bank fails to get any money. And there's no going to be no money left. And the government has already said they're not going to bail out the banks again. Now, isn't that we have allowed that? And Senator Frank, who is a homosexual, and Senator Dodd from Connecticut, uh, that's what they wrote and, and, and passed when there was a Democrat majority in the Senate and the Congress. And, and so they committed treason against American citizens. They did not care about the, the If a bank fails, the first person who should get money are the depositors because that's their money. And we allowed this law to pass. And that's what happens with Christianity. There's more than 51% of Christians in America. That number is becoming less and less. We can stop anything. If we got together and 
put our money where our mouth is and put our feet out there and protest, we are a majority. If a school board allows males, I read it in the news yesterday, that allows males who say they really are female and they and the judge ruled that uh, that these males that have a gender identity crisis can shower with the girls now would you want that with your daughter if a majority of christians got together they can get that judge kicked out and they can uh, they can go and fire everyone on the school board and get new people on the school board. Christians, if they got together and actually did what the Bible says, what Jesus tried to do as a revolutionary, we can change society. We can change anything. Hmm. But if you do a search on any search engine and say, fastest growing religion in America, it will come up with three choices. So that means uh, it's close of the fastest growing religion in America. It's Mormonism, it is Islam, and the third one is witchcraft. Those are the three fastest growing religions in America. It didn't say Christianity. And so Christians better get their act together and resist the devil in government and protest. Can you imagine if every Christian, if there was a bill that was an ungodly bill and every Christian called their senator or congressman, the phones would be burned up. There would be so many calling. And government works on only one principle. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> so Christians need to be a squeaky wheel. Right now, the New World Order is planning Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is they're going to move people from the country and they have... They're going to build special houses in the cities. And like cattle, they're going to move everybody there. They're going to forbid people to go out west to any forest. They're going to close all national parks. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you go to work where they tell you. Everything will be public transportation. I challenge anybody to just do an engine search of Agenda 21. A man called me yesterday. He, he works for the government. And he said they plan by 2030, which is only, what, 12 years, that America will be under the New World Order and Agenda 21 will be active. It's going to be. It's horrible. It is, it is the last days where Americans will lose their freedom is what Agenda 21 is. And the elite, the Illuminati, the New World Order, will control everything. 
he that controls the money controls the world. And the Rothschilds have $400 trillion. And they control banking. Christians better act right now. I mean, they better, when they hear in the news something, they need to get out there and protest. George Soros, a communist in his philosophy, he's he tried to he goes into a country and tries to destroy the currency. In fact, France got sick of him, so in absentia, they passed a law against him, convicting him of a monetary crime. And they said if he comes into the country, he'll immediately be arrested and put in jail. There are countries in Europe who thousands march the street against George Soros. And George Soros is not going to go to those countries anymore. He may be a billionaire, but you know, he's not going to go there because the people stood up and resisted. That is a really good point. That is a really good point. Folks, um, we, we, we started off really talking about curses and how to deal with them. I, 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 and where this has gone in a conversation is a revelation that in Christ we have not only a right but a responsibility to confront radical evil. Um, and we're not supposed to tolerate it, not in our personal lives, Exactly. Not in our marriages or ministries or our destiny, and certainly not in our society. And we are supposed to not be sitting on the sidelines waiting for a solution. We are supposed to be part of the solution, um, actively shutting down the curses, the evil words, the confronting rituals that are being done against us is part of our due diligence and duty. And, um, you know, Dr. Bailey, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to sit down and to have this conversation with me. Do you have any final thoughts before we conclude the program? Yes. Let, let me just say a few things. When evil comes in your life and you're aware of it, you need to resist it. In whatever way, you pray against it, first of all. The authority we have as a Christian, every Christian needs to read Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. You bind the evil by the blood of Jesus Christ and you release the opposite. God has a treasure house, a storehouse in heaven. Mm. It has all of the blessings mm. God wants us to have. Mm. We're not going to receive them unless we pray for them. And so we bind the evil by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we release the opposite. If someone is spreading lies and rumors about you, you pray something like this. You, everybody can come up through and pray. You say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I... I bind his mouth from speaking evil. I pray that you would close his mouth 
and I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, I pray that he would reap what he has sown so that he will learn not to slander and lie uh, against people. Hmm. And if that person is a Christian, the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. So we say, Lord, I pray that you would chasten the, them so that they would learn uh, to live a godly, righteous life. Now, if evil enemies are really attacking you, you not only bind them, but you then you release by faith God's army from heaven to come and attack the forces of evil behind them, uh, principalities, powers, rules of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And you you pray that God's army would be released and that Christ would be the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief of that army, mm. and attack them and defeat them because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And when evil comes in our life, we need to resist it. Everybody needs healthy boundaries, especially women. People will get away with what we allow them to do. Now, if someone hurts you, I'm not blaming you, but we need to plan ahead and, and be able to resist. Now, Christians, it's an open season on attacking Christians for Satan. Now, the Bible says we need to, the, the tense in Greek, we need to keep on putting on the whole armor of God to keep on standing against the schemates, the schemes, the attacks of the devil. So we need to put on the armor of God every day. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Now, if you're, if there's a, a bunch of Christians and you're a demon, and your assignment is to attack Christians in this area. Now, who are you going to attack? You see one that has on their armor, and you see another Christian that does not have on the armor of God. Which one are you going to attack? You see. That's a good that's point. What, you see, he's going to attack the easy one. Now, a warlock that I led to Christ... <clears throat> He told me this. He said, demons have assignments from Satan. And he said this. He said, if the if a demon fails three times in a row in their assignment, uh, that Satan sends him to the pit to be tortured. And after a certain season, he'll let him out and he's demoted in rank, there's ranks, and then he gives them the nasty assignments, in other words. But, so we need to pray every day against, as you said, any evil assignments against us. 
And so I pray, Heavenly Father, I renounce and reject any curse, hex, spell, incantation, enchantment, evil prayer, any evil assignments against me and my family, and any evil technology, and I claim by faith it's nailed to the cross of Christ, covered by the blood of the Lamb, and is null and void, and I release from heaven God's army to attack any forces of evil that have evil assignments against me and my family. I pray that we'd have on the armor of God, put a hedge of protection around us. And I pray that angels would stand guard at the four corners of my house. And that's just a tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we need to resist the devil in every area of our life. If Christians got together, they can change anything. Amen. Folks, uh, we've been sitting here having a conversation with Dr. Preston Bailey. Now, you can find him on our website, and you can also find him at spiritualwarfarecenter.com. And uh, if you are looking for prayer strategies, he does have some prayers on his website. We also have some prayers at our website. And, of course, there is the book Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth, which is a collection of a number of prayers that reveal prayer strategies for engaging different kinds of things. Um, again, Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for your time today. And folks, until next time, God bless and God, God speak. You. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries, or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.